All right, so I'm titling this on Lutheran hymnody, and I want to talk about four features that I found on Lutheran hymnody, uh, characteristics of our Lutheran hymns, and then I want to debunk one myth. There's a lot of myths, but there's one I I do want to debunk at the end. So that's kind of the order in which we'll take this. So four things that I've noticed, and then that that, uh, myth at the end. Uh, But I want to start out with an introduction here simply by saying that music is a powerful tool. Uh, Tools, as you know, are neutral. So uh, you have a hammer and it just sits there. Uh, But it's how it's used that makes it useful or not useful, good or bad. So uh, so since it's neutral, uh, it can be used, music, uh, for good or for evil, depending on the one using it. Uh, so if you have a hammer and a nail, you can do some really great stuff if you know what you're doing with it. If you have a hammer and nail, you can also do some really bad stuff if you have no idea what you're doing or you use it indiscriminately. So there's, there's, a, there's reason and wisdom that goes into how you use a thing. So that's the role of music is that it's a tool. It's a thing that the church uses for a specific purpose, right? So music is good. It is great when it teaches true doctrine, then it's good. Music is bad, even harmful to the Christian, and dangerous when it's used to teach false doctrine. Okay, it's just a, a very simple uh, distinction there. So I'll give you a positive example of uh, music being used uh, for good. So Luther wrote hymns, and, um, and these hymns kind of spread throughout all of, all of Germany and, and throughout the world. And there was a Jesuit who complained about Luther, and he said, he goes, Luther is going to send more people to hell with his hymns than with his sermons. Um, now, what was this Jesuit, Jesuit complaining about? He was saying, well, this guy is writing about the forgiveness of sins for free. He's talking about, uh, dear Christians, one and all, rejoice, right? That, that the Lord himself has freely forgiven us, sa- saved us by grace through faith alone. And the Jesuit is saying, no, no, we're saved by works. Uh, but he's ascribing to his hymnody this great place. Even though he meant this as a slight against Luther, it's true. Uh, that I think the majority of you have not read any of Luther's sermons, uh, and maybe those are forgotten. But everybody's sang, uh, 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 sung uh, Luther's hymns. We still sing them to this day, all throughout the world, in a bunch of different languages. So, yes, this doctrine is being promoted in a good way uh, through this. Now, that's somebody complaining about the forgiveness of sins, the merits of Christ, which is just ridiculous. Um, but they, they were upset with Luther for this. That's a positive example. He's saying that the, he's teaching salvation by grace through faith alone in this way. A negative example is this, that in the fourth century, there's a man named Arius. He was an Alexandrian uh, presbyter from, from that century. Uh, do you, anyone know who Arius is? You guys know? Okay. Um, yes? What was the word you said he was? Uh, Something century what? Oh, presbyter. Presbyter, so like, um, like a pastor, but in, in that uh, church body. And uh, so he was, he was like a, a pastor then and a theologian, but Arius is the father of what we would call today the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, that they teach, and this is coming from Arius, early, fourth century, about 400 years after uh, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, He taught that God, the Son of God, is not God. That Jesus, the Son of God, was divine, but not fully or truly divine. And that he denied the Trinity, essentially. So he's saying that there's God, and then Jesus is the first creature or first creation of God, and there's there's the Holy Spirit that, that follows after. But that Jesus, or the Son of God, is very, very powerful, but he's not God. Right? This was the problem. If you read the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible, which they have taken and changed, 
um, to deceive people. They read First uh, John, or sorry, John chapter 1, the first chapter of John. They, they read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They add the little a there, right? And they, they put the indefinite article, and they say, he's a God, meaning he's not God, <laughs> right? Um, and there's, uh, grammatically, that makes no uh, sense according to the Greek text. It's called Caldwell's Rule, if you want to look it up. Um, anyway, but, but the point there is that it's, it's equating the Son of God with God himself. In fact, the Nicene Creed that we say in church every week, we are saying that specifically against Arius, against that doctrine. That's why, look at it, uh, look it up. Go to page 191. Look at that second paragraph, how big it is. And notice the repetition and the emphasis that's going on here. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, Arius would say, we, we agree, we agree. Begotten of his Father before all worlds, Arius would say, we agree. God of God. Uh, what do you mean by this? Light of light. Very God of very God. <laughs> begotten, not made. Arius is out the window, right? He's, he's gone. Being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. That, that creed is teaching that. It's giving the faith there as, as a defense against this Arius teaching. Well, the, the point is, is that this is what Arius was teaching. How did he promote and deceive so many people? Uh, he didn't do it really through books or through creeds. He did it mostly through hymns, through music. I'm going to read you one song he wrote. Um, it's uh, from the book Macmillan, Book of Earliest Christian Hymns, and this is included there, uh, published in 1988. It says, he wrote, We praise him as without beginning. So he's talking about the Father. Because of him who has a beginning, the Son. He makes this distinction. Uh, and adore him as everlasting because of him who in time has come to be. That is, the Son of God was created in time. He that is without beginning, the Father, made the Son a beginning of things originated and advanced him as a son to himself by adoption. Uh, this is what we call adoptionism. This is uh, what we were studying in the, um, the, one of the catechism classes recently. He has nothing proper to God in proper subsistence. That is Jesus. For he, Jesus, is not equal, no, nor one essence with him. Wise is God, for he is the teacher of wisdom. So people were singing that. There were, there were Christians who were singing this who were deceived and who fell into this trap. Uh, and, and the reason it was so successful is because once you join a teaching with music, it is stuck in your, in your heads. Um, have you guys heard that commercial? Commercials do this all the time. What is it? 800, 588, 2, 300, Empire. That one. Okay. I've never tried to memorize that in my life. It just comes on at the most random times. And it's stuck in my head. And now I know this random phone number that I'll never use. And it's, it's there. Uh, well, that's the power of music. Uh, when you're looking through a dictionary, uh, you're, you're trying to find something. What do you do? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K. You're singing it in your head still. I'm 34 and I'm still singing the ABCs just to find what's next. Because that's how powerful it's ingrained. It is stuck there. Now, this is the point of music. That music is neutral. It could be good or bad. It's good if it teaches the ABCs. It's bad if it, um, if it teaches false doctrine. <laughs> uh, it's annoying when you teach a commercial or phone number or something. But th this is the point. It's a, it's a tool. That's my main point. So it's a powerful tool, which means we need to use it wisely. We need to be smart. We need to be discerning as, as to how we use music. 
So this Bible study is how and why we use music the way we do. So, So the first point is this, is that Lutheran hymns, the first characteristic uh, that they have is that they proclaim something. They are saying something substantial. They're trying to communicate something, a message. So that the chief purpose of music for Lutherans is not entertainment. It's not simply an expression of me or how I feel, or my life. Uh, And in fact, hymns and music is not about taste or preference even. Uh, Lutheran hymns are about proclaiming and confessing something of substance. You're trying to get a message across is the point. Uh, And I'm going to read a few verses here, uh, actually several. Uh, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Ephesians 5.19 says, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Uh, Romans 15.9 And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Uh, Keep keep these in mind. I'll summarize it at the end. Psalm 96 is a song about singing songs. It's a psalm about uh, singing to God. Uh, listen, Listen to what it says. It says, O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. His salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble. Tremble before him, all the earth. That sounds like fear, right? It is. Uh, Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. A couple more uh, verses here. Psalm 106, uh, verse 12 says, they believed his words, the words of God, and they sang his praise. So these things go together. If you have faith, then you sing. Uh, that, this is the, the fruit of it. Uh, this Psalm 106 is talking about Israel's time in the wilderness. And Exodus 15, 1. I remember uh, Pastor, uh, Professor Grimm was here a number of weeks ago, and he said, what, what is the first hymn? Remember? And some of you said he didn't answer it. Um, uh, I will. Uh, it's Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, and, and he says here in the scriptures, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted the horse and the rider he has thrown into the sea. So that Israel, the first known uh, hymn that we have in the scriptures is that. So that Israel, once they cross the Red Sea, they look back and Egypt, uh, all of the Egyptians and Pharaoh are wiped out. And they say, well, we're going to sing about that, what God just did, right? Um, So that's what Psalm 106 is referring to. So the point is here that... 
to proclaim something is to teach something and to assert something. That we're not singing hymns simply for the sake of singing hymns or simply out of tradition. Uh, we're not just, we don't have music because it would be boring if we didn't. We sing hymns to learn and to memorize and to confess something. That's the point. There, there, there's a usefulness in it. So from these texts that we saw, just, that I just read through, look at the purposes of, of hymn, hymns and singing. It's for mutual consolation uh, within the church. Ad- admonish one another, address one another, you guys, in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. Uh, it's for evangelism, too. It's a confession to the world so that if anybody steps into this church, we're blurting, uh, 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 blurting out, singing at the top of our lungs. We're saying, uh, salvation unto us has come by God's free grace and favor. We're singing it. And they would learn. What do these people believe? Oh, that. Uh, finally, uh, we, we're singing for God, to God. Uh, th- this is why I say don't worry about if you're hitting the notes. Um, don't worry about if your voice sounds good or it's beautiful or not. You're singing to God, and God wants to hear you sing. He loves your voice. He created your voice. He loves you. Uh, so, so sing loud. Um, don't shy away from that. Just sing as loud as you can. The louder, the better is, is how it goes. Um, but the point is that when we sing to God, we're not just saying how we feel, but we're ascribing to God, as that psalm says, 96, we ascribe to God the glory due his name. And what is the thing they're singing about? His salvation. How he saved us. That's the point. Uh, so <clears throat> under, under this point that the Lutheran hymns are to proclaim something, and they're to proclaim not the individual, but God and his works. Meaning, hymns are to be objective and not subjective. So objective What's something that's objectively true is something that's universally true apart from you, whether you exist or not. Um, the world is round. That is true. It's a, it's a sphere. So whether you ever existed or not, that truth remains. A subjective truth is something that how, how you perceive it or how it looks like to you. So the world looks flat to me from this point of view, <laughs> right? It looks, it looks very plain and flat. Um, but that's a subjective truth. That's my perception, but it's not true. You see this? So Lutherans are, are proclaiming what is objectively true. And since we're pro- proclaiming what is objectively true, we do it boldly and we do it clearly. Meaning the content of our singing is not going to be our emotions or ourselves. And it's also not going to be hidden in some esoteric way so that only we can understand what we're talking about. But we're going to speak clearly and boldly. And I want to tell you this because you'll, you'll turn on the radio sometimes and you'll listen to, what is it, Z88.3, the Christian hymns, the pop uh, top 10 hymns or uh, songs on the radio. Um, when you listen to it, you can't really tell what. Yeah, it, what you're even listening to. You're like, what, what is this? I, uh, it's kind of vague, right? There's, there's a big kind of a nebulous cloud there, and I don't really know what I'm hearing. It sounds like I could sing this to my wife <laughs> or my girlfriend, or I could sing this to my boyfriend, wh- whatever it is. I, there's no real substance. It's not very clear. So because, because it's of the emotion, there's never a clarity. But Lutheran hymns are clear because we're talking about something, someone. The sea, or, or the, the horse and his rider, he threw into the sea. That's very clear. What happened? The Red Sea wiped out all of, all of Egypt and Pharaoh. Uh, I want to tell you real quick of a couple of interviews. Do you guys know who Amy Grant is? Okay. Um, Sorry, I don't want to step on toes, but uh, sorry. Okay, I'm just going to go through an, through an interview here. Uh, in 1985, it was on USA Today, she had an interview, and they asked her about uh, your songs, like, what are your songs like? And she said, well, we, kind of the music team, uh, we prefer to be a little bit sneaky 
with the lyrics. Because when you start getting churchy, they start running. <laughs> so if you assert something and you're actually teaching something, then people aren't, are going to shut it off. But if you're sneaky about it, you can kind of trick them into, into the faith. Right? You, can, you can sneak it in there. Uh, so, so then she talks about like the fast drums, uh, the, the screams, uh, the, her, her li- literally a quote here, sensually oriented apparel, uh, kind of to help sell this and promote it. And then at the end of the interview, the, uh, the interviewer asked, he goes, um, so this is, is gospel music? This is about the gospel? Uh, and then in another interview, in 1986, this was in a, in a magazine, uh, she said this, there are songs that can go both ways. I call these God-girlfriend songs, meaning you're either singing it to God or to your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, this is from her mouth. Yeah. My dad says that if you can take the words Jesus or God in a song and just says it to your girlfriend or boyfriend, it's not a very good song. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good litmus test. Um, yeah, I mean, if, okay, just think that through. If, if the song is simply about, oh, how I feel about you, I love you, you make me so happy every morning, this and this, that is equally true for for your girlfriend, right, or your boyfriend, or, or um, uh, yeah. So, so the point is, uh, so Amy Grant herself is saying this even in 1986, right, a, a while back. Um, so there is kind of this, this vagueness uh, behind this pop um, music. But uh, the second point I want to make here, so in contrast to that, Lutheran hymns assert. They're clear. They're bold. They're direct to the point. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm talking about, the death of Jesus, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, this and that. Um, the second point here is that the Lutheran hymns come from God's word. Uh, so, Lutheran hymns come from God's word. And that uh, this is the source of it. And I want to read you a quote from Martin Luther. He said, this is Luther uh, in his natural form. He goes, I have no use of cranks who despise music. (laughs) Because music is a gift of God. Music drives away the devil and makes people joyful. They forget thereby all wrath, unchastity, arrogance, and the like. Next, after theology, I give to music the highest place and the greatest honor. That's Luther. So he says, if I could order all of the subjects in the world, number one is going to be theology, the word of God. Number two is going to be music. That's, that does not sound like a man who despises music. That's a man who loves music. He was a musician himself. Um, a lot of the, the early pastors played and, and knew music very well. So, but notice, notice what Luther does. He praises music, talks about how powerful it is, how it, how, it gets, how it changes your emotions, all of this. What a great place it has in this earth, above every other subject, above the sciences, he puts music. Um, but he places it second to God's word. He says, next, after theology, not with theology or tied in place with theology or before theology, but after it. Which means from here we learn how to write and consider a Lutheran hymn. It is first the theology and then second the music. Uh, meaning the place of music as a tool is to serve the word. And the word is not meant to serve the music. The, the music supports, it's, it's there for the word. It's built around the word. It, it's like a, like a diamond ring. Um, if you, you, you get engaged, you have the diamond, you put that first and foremost, and then you make the setting around it so that everything in the ring points to the diamond and says, look at the diamond. That's the main point. Well, all of this is to keep it in place, is to keep it there. But it's to draw your attention to the diamond. Well, this is the same thing with uh, hymnody. The music, uh, the poetry, the, the rhyming, all of this is great, but that's supporting the main thing, which is the diamond, which is the word here. Uh, so music uh, serves the word of God. So it means 
also that we don't pick hymns or songs uh, because of how they sound, uh, which is a common thing to do. We pick, sing, and learn hymns because of what they say. So there's two main errors that come to uh, music. The first error is attributing too much power to music. And you'll see this in some churches, um, especially the Pentecostal churches, that music is a means of grace that prepares people to be converted. It sets the stage and it makes you, it moves you to make a decision or something. So that the Holy Spirit kind of uses the sound as a vehicle to convert our hearts. This is why you'll, you'll go to these uh, churches and they'll be playing like music in the background during the sermon or during the prayer or during, I don't know, whatever part. And it's, they're kind of setting the stage, the mood, and that this is, it, it is emotional. I grant that. It's very emotional. It moves you. Um, but that's how they're viewing music as, is something that will turn the heart. That's ascribing too much power to music. On the other hand, is ascribing too little power to music and to say, well, music is irrelevant. So then let's just not sing or let's get rid of music or to say that it, any sound or style works. So uh, since music is just neutral, uh, we'll just, uh, for example, sing the Sanctus uh, to Bossa Nova or to uh, mariachi or something like this. Uh, the, the problem with that is that there's a very deep connection between the styles of those music and what they communicate, right? Um, and so you, you, you have trouble here. Um, and it's very powerful. It recalls to mind uh, these, these sort of ideas in your mind. Uh, so music affects the mood. That's a result, but it's not the goal. So since theology is the most important thing, uh, we sing hymns that are doctrinally pure. That's, that's the standard. That's the litmus test. So uh, I want to make this point here, that there is a deep unity between doctrine and practice, what you believe and what you do. It's, in fact, it's two sides of the same coin. You can't get rid of one side without destroying the other. So it's, it, it's bound together in this way. It's inseparable. Uh, so that if you believe a certain way, you're going to act a certain way. And if you act a certain way, you're probably going to end up believing a certain way. Um, yeah, I could go off on a tangent there. I, I won't. Uh, let, let, me, let me go to this next point to develop this. In our doctrine, we say there is only one mediator between God and man, right? So if... On, on a Sunday, we, we, you come here and we have the invocation of saints. And we pray in one of the prayers, uh, Saint Joseph, help us. Then what? That's a bad practice. And it's not aligning with the doctrine. So you don't want to say that. Uh, we say, well, on paper, this is what we believe. But in practice, we're praying to Joseph. What, what, why, why that discrepancy? Uh, or you don't want to say, well, we believe that uh, all prayers and glory goes to God, but then we call, we address Mary as the co-redemptrix. That's wrong, too. Um, th this, this is the issue. At the same time, this applies to hymnody. So in the third article of the Creed, we just read it, the explanation. How does it go? I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him, but he has called me by the gospel. So it would be wrong then to believe that and then in church sing a hymn that says, I have decided to follow Jesus, right? <laughs> then there's a discrepancy. Then you say, well, this is what I believe, uh, but here's what we're singing. Now you say, well, because that is contrary to the word, then one of you has got to go and I choose you. I choose the hymn. That, that, that will go. We'll sing something else. Um, or to say, or, or to say uh, with the scriptures that the heart is a rock. That's how God compares our hearts to, a stone. Uh, in, in fact, in the confessions, they say it's worse than a stone because it resists God. It pulls away from him. And that the scriptures say that God must tear out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Um, 
So it would be wrong then to sing a song that says, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. Right? Uh, there it's comparing the heart to a flower. <laughs> as something that willfully opens up to the Lord. When in fact, the, the scriptures say, God has to tear out our heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Um, so, <clears throat> again... Um, 2 Timothy 3.16, another example. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and so on. So it's saying that the scriptures are the very word of God. If you want to encounter God, if you want to hear his voice, what he says and thinks and does and wills, you read the Bible. You don't look anywhere else to the left or to the right. You read what the Bible says. So then it would be wrong then in practice to sing a hymn called Break Thou the Bread of Life, where a line in there says, Beyond the sacred page, I seek thee, Lord. Do you see the problem? It says, here's the Bible, but beyond the Bible, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to seek you beyond that. But he never told us to seek him beyond the scriptures. He says, uh, uh, to, to search the scriptures. And, to, and, and it, for in them you have a, a eternal life. And it is they that testify about me. So if you want to know the Lord better, you don't discard the Bible. You cling to the Bible. You read the words. So this is, these are examples, and I can go on and on about this, but these are examples of us believing a certain way, but then practicing, practicing another way, which we have to be very careful and deliberate with what we do. Um, so, okay, let me get to the third point. Uh, we're running out of time. <clears throat> Uh, the third point here is that Lutheran hymns uh, don't simply paraphrase the Bible, uh, but they interpret it. And I want you to understand this rightly. That is, they draw conclusions from the Bible. They proclaim things and they draw conclusions. So uh, it proclaims the word of God to you. Um, I, w- I want to tell you just some of the different denominations. The Calvinists, uh, John Calvin insisted on congreg- congregational singing. Everybody sings together. But you can only sing the Psalms in, in meter. And uh, you can only sing actual Bible verses as they are, uh, maybe paraphrased at, at most. Uh, and you can sing the Lord's Prayer and Canticles. But everything that you sang had to be strictly from the Bible. So on top of that, he said, no choirs, no organs, no singing in harmony. <laughs> So you all have to sing the same note. You can't, you can't diverge in that way. That was John Calvin. Uh, Zwingli, Ulrich Zwingli said, he silenced all congregational singing and speaking except for just a few liturgical responses, the creed and the gloria. Um, but for Zwingli, he banned music from church <laughs> completely. L- Luther never did this. Lutherans never did this. Uh, and what they're doing is they're going too far on the other side and saying, well, if it's not exactly the word of God, then we're not going to sing it. Luther, uh, on the other hand, says, no, we can sing hymns uh, and we can sing hymns that interpret the scriptures just like we hear sermons that interpret the scriptures. So uh, let me put it this way. Does the Bible ever say that Jesus loves you? No. It doesn't say uh, Jesus loves Brett here in Winter Garden. <laughs> Brett Pierce. It doesn't say that. So then we say, ah, I'm not going to sing it. I can't, I can't say, I can't be sure of that. No, we, we draw the conclusion. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He loves all. He died for all. Brett is part of all. Therefore, Jesus died for Brett. <laughs> right? That, it, It's just a simple syllogism there. So we can draw that conclusion. So even though the Bible doesn't say Jesus loves you, you can conclude that I am included in his love because he said so. So therefore, a a, a song as simple as Jesus loves me is already interpreting what the Bible says. Or I am Jesus' little lamb 
that we teach the children. Um, the Bible never says, you are a lamb, but we draw that conclusion. Uh, those who hear my voice, follow me. They're, they're my lambs. I'm their shepherd. So this is then the place. So just as sermons um, interpret and conclude from the Bible text what it means for you, so to hymns interpret and conclude from the Bible text what it means to you, but in poetry. So the sermon is prose, and the hymns are in poetry, in meter. So what, what that means simply is you judge a hymn the same way you would judge a sermon. So if you want to know how to listen to hymns, then you have to learn how to listen to sermons and vice versa. Okay, uh, now the fourth point is this, uh, that Lutheran hymns are shaped by suffering. So Lutheran hymns are shaped by suffering. And there's a distinction that we make in theology uh, called the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. The theology of glory is this. It centers the Christian life on glory and success. It is health, wealth, and success. It is uh, what you see on the TV, a lot of the televangelists, the prosperity gospel. That is the theology of glory. That, uh, what they would conclude is that life gets better when you become a Christian. If you're a Christian, then your life is going to be easier. And you're not going to lack. You're going to have more. You're not going to uh, have marital problems. They're going to go away. Uh, your children are just automatically going to be obedient. They're going to listen to everything you say. Go to bed on time, all of that. Th- th- that's the image of, of the Christian life. That for them, the Christian life is a mountaintop experience. Constantly. Yeah, Adrian. And the more, and the more you become, like, the more Christian you are, like, the, better, like, the better your life's going to be. So give me $5,000 for my Lamborghini for the lower. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so then you have this, uh, these, these challenges or see, uh, seed money, things like this, where you say, uh, here, if you want to be blessed, if you want to get $10,000, then give me 1000 and God will give you tenfold and he'll, he'll multiply it. Uh, <laughs> And then they, they don't see it. Um, and then they say, well, what's the problem? You didn't have enough faith. You weren't genuine enough. Okay, I'm going to try harder next time. Boom. Still, no, 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 no. Th- this, is, this is the problem that's going on here. Um, but that's a theology of glory. It, it centers on life is a mountaintop experience as a Christian. You're baptized. Woohoo. You know, you're going to be happy. Everything is going to be great. The theology of the cross, on the other hand, is what it means to be a Lutheran. And this is a life that centers on Christ and his suffering, his passion, and his crucifixion. And it says that the Christian life will be difficult. Um, uh, that, 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 it will, um, that through many trials and hardships will one enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so that there's persecution, that people will like you less. Uh, that there's going to be doubt. You're going to be plagued by despair. The devil will come after you like a roaring lion. And the theology of the cross is that life gets more difficult as a Christian. Because now you have to resist temptation. Now you mortify the flesh. You fight against your heart. Now there's persecution from the world. There's mockery from the world. Uh, Your job is put on the line. Do this, comply, or you're fired. I don't believe that. Do it, or else you're fired. Right? That's going to come up. It's going to attack the conscience. There's oppression. So that in this view of the theology of the cross, the Christian life is in a valley of the shadow of death. That we are walking through a valley of sorrow and a veil of tears. Of the two, the theology of glory and the theology of the cross, Lutheran hymnody follows the theology of the cross. It's shaped by the cross. Um, <clears throat> look at this. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Uh, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. Uh, the, nobody knows what's going to happen to them. And then it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Now, I, I highly doubt that they're singing something like, 
I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. <laughs> uh, um, I doubt they're singing, uh, you know, uh, so, some, some frivolous thing. I think, or, or about the meadows and the, the flowers, I think they're singing something like, why should cross and trial grieve me? God is near with his cheer, never will he leave me. Um, or if God himself be for me. Let, me. let me show you this hymn quickly. <clears throat> uh, hymn 724. If God himself before me, I may a host defy. For when I pray before me, my foes confounded fly. If Christ, my head and master, befriend me from above, what foe or what disaster can drive me from his love? I build on this foundation that Jesus and his blood alone are my salvation, my true eternal good. Without him, all that pleases is valueless on earth. The gifts I have from Jesus alone have priceless worth. Christ Jesus is my splendor, my sun, my light alone. Were he not my defender before, my judgment, before God's judgment throne, I never should find favor and mercy in his sight, but be destroyed forever as darkness by the light. But he canceled my offenses, delivered me from death. He is the Lord who cleanses. He, he is the Lord who cleanses my soul from sin through faith. In him, I can be cheerful, courageous on my way. In him, I am not fearful of God's great judgment day. For no one can condemn me or set my hope aside. No, now hell no more can claim me. <laughs> That's beautiful. It's fury I deride. No sentence now reproves me. No guilt destroys my peace. For Christ, my Savior, loves me and shields me with his grace. Who clings with resolution to him whom Satan hates must look for persecution for him the burden waits of mockery, shame, and losses heaped on his blameless head. A thousand plagues and crosses will be his daily bread. Verse 7. But from me this is not hidden, yet I am not afraid. I leave my cares as bidden to whom my vows were paid, though life from me be taken and everything I own, I trust in you unshaken and cleave to you alone. And then it continues, no danger, thirst, or hunger. And then verse nine, no angel, no gladness, no throne, no pomp. Finally, verse 10 says, my heart with joy is springing. I am no longer sad. Notice this. He didn't say the circumstance changed. Uh, the, uh, Paul Gerhardt, who writes this, he didn't say, oh, well, everything's better now, so I'm, I'm Okay. He says, because I know this, because I know that my salvation is secure, he says, my heart with joy is springing. I am no longer sad. My soul is filled with singing. Your sunshine makes me glad. The sun that cheers my spirit is Jesus Christ, my King. The heaven I shall inherit makes me rejoice and sing. Um, okay, it goes on and on. I mean, that is the content. That is deep and solid hymnody. That's confessing. Uh, good things. Okay. Um, <clears throat> ah, there's quite a bit. Uh, in Matthew 26, verse 30, before Jesus dies, uh, there's this curious last line after the Lord's Supper. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they departed to the Mount of Olives. Um, and the question, well, what did they sing? Uh, what, what, what's what's the, the, the hymn that they sang? And that's a pretty important because if Jesus sang that hymn, that's the last hymn he sang before he died. So what was it? Well, we know what it was. Uh, every Passover, uh, they would sing the Hallel. And the last hymn or song that they sing in the Hallel for the Passover is Psalm 118. If you want, you can look that up. It's a pretty lengthy psalm, but I want you to listen to it and picture in your mind Jesus singing this. His disciples are there. They don't really get what's going on. Uh, they know something's about to happen. They've been doubting this the whole time. They're trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. Jesus knows he's going to the cross. 
This is the last words, the last hymn he sings. He says, first words out of his mouth. He's about to be forsaken by the Father. He says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surround me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surround me. They surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. You know who the right hand of the Lord is, right? Him. Um, The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, he says. Right? As he's going to face certain death, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. He trusts that the Lord will resurrect him, that the Father will not leave him there in the grave. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. And then he says, this is the gate of the Lord himself. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This day, the day of his his betrayal and death. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, for give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords. Up to the horns of the altar, the cross. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For steadfast love endures forever. That is what he's saying. That is substantial. And he's already proclaiming the victory before he goes uh, to the cross. Uh, he claims his victory in this way. Okay. Uh, final minutes. I know we're out of time. Uh, debunking one myth. <clears throat> uh, debunking one myth. And the myth is this. Uh, Lutherans only sing German hymns. <laughs> that's, the, that's the myth. Oh, man, you Lutherans, you, you only sing German hymns. Sure. I like German hymns. I like German stuff. I wish I was German, but uh, I like the language. But, <laughs> but, but uh, I like the culture. But, um, but uh, okay, th- this is a, that's, that's a f- uh, straw man argument. It's, we don't just sing German hymns. Uh, the Lutheran hymnal is sung around the world in, in Canada, England, Africa, China, uh, India, New, New Zealand, South America, in the Caribbean. And it, the Lutheran hymnal, the one before this one, this one's more diverse than, than the previous one, uh, had not just German hymns. The Lutheran hymnal had 313 hymns, 347 translations. 248 were German, uh, 46 were Latin, uh, 31 Scandinavian. There's Greek hymns, Slovak, French, Italian, Dutch, Welsh, Finnish, British, American, Canadian. Um, and, then, uh, and then there's more of, of the different translations too. Uh, the fact that they all sound the same tells you that these hymns aren't about being German. They're about a particular culture or style. And that is the style of hymnody. 
that, uh, the, that the Swedes are writing songs that sound like hymns. Uh, and the point is, is that the hymns are countercultural. Uh, the Swedish people have their own sounding music, and it's beautiful, actually. Uh, Africans have their own uh, sounding music. The people in South America have their own sounding music. But when they write hymns, it's different in each one of those places. It goes against their culture. And the point is, is that no one's culture rules in the church. Uh, the church is the culture. Uh, the church has its own way of speaking. So if those hymns, if hymns sound weird to you, they sound weird to the Germans too and to everyone else because it's not what they hear on the radio all the time. Um, so r- real quick, uh, one final point here. Um, by the way, if you do try to follow the culture uh, of a particular group, uh, then you have to decide on which culture and then what, what style within that culture to follow whether it's uh, jazz or R&B or folk or hip-hop or uh, uh, techno or things. And I, I always laugh at this because um, uh, churches will say, well, we're contemporary. I say, no, not quite. Like, our music is contemporary. And I say, not quite. Uh, that sound you hear is more like the 70s and 80s. What's contemporary is rap. <laughs> it's hip-hop or techno or dance music. That's... Truly, with the times. Um, so we, we, we shy away, or we get away from that whole discussion by simply saying we're holding on to the forms of hymns and how it presents, uh, how it presents the Lord. Uh, I, I wanted to use some more time here, but we're out of it. I want to show you one thing. Actually, I'll send it out in an email to you all. It's called the Praise Song Cruncher. It was uh, created by... Pastor Brian Wolfmuller and a good friend of mine, Evan Gigline, who's also a pastor. And they use this, it's a form, uh, a test to critique hymns. And you go there and you circle things. It's actually quite fun. I'll send it to you guys. I wanted to go through it today, but we won't make it. Um, all right, I'll conclude the recording here.